Um, we're in the middle of Lent right now. And uh, in the middle of Lent, it's only, uh, only right or only good that we talk about failure, okay? So I'm going to talk to you about one of my biggest failures. Can you do that with you right now? Is that okay? Let's talk about failure. Uh, Forefront Church, this church, was started in 2012. And we were started out of another church called Forefront Manhattan. Okay, Forefront Manhattan started in 2005. And there was a senior pastor... And the senior pastor cast vision for both church locations. So we said that we were two locations in one church. That's what we said. And uh, it was this great experience where this, lead, uh, this senior pastor really mentored me, discipled me, uh, allowed me to grow, gave me strategies in which to become the best leader that I could be. And both churches, our church here in Brooklyn and the church in Manhattan, they were thriving, like thriving, doing so well. And so a couple of years after we started Forefront Brooklyn, uh, one of, one of the, the senior pastor, the one who mentored me, discipled me, helped me become the leader that I am, it was time for him to move on. He decided he was going to leave and move elsewhere. And I remember he told us, he told the Brooklyn staff and he told the Manhattan staff. And so he tells us both, right? And, uh, and I, I remember going out with just the Brooklyn staff afterwards. And we were in Midtown. So we went to like one of those Midtown tourist bars. You know what I'm talking about? Like with the fake Irish name, like PJ O'Reilly's or whatever. So yeah, like one of those. Like we were at one of those. And we're there. And I remember saying to the Brooklyn staff, I remember saying um, this. I said, I want this job. I want the senior pastor job. I want to be the one that casts vision, and I want to disciple other leaders, and I want to be the one that, that decides where both locations are going, two locations, one church. I'm ready for this. And I remember saying this very specifically. I said, I said it will be an affront to me if I do not get this. I remember saying that. And so why? Why should I get it? Well, I'd been a pastor for two years. It's plenty of time, <laughs> Right? Plenty of time to move forward, plenty of time to take on the next challenge. I was, you know, an okay leader, and you know, I guess I could speak all right or whatever the case may be, and we were doing all right as a church, and I said, this is mine, right? And so I interviewed for it, and I got it. I got the position and promptly realized that I was in over my head. Some of it was not my fault. Some of it was just extenuating circumstances, as will happen, and... Uh, then I trusted some of the wrong people, although I made a bad hire or two. Had to cut a couple other people and got to a place where morale was pretty low. And what happened uh, in 2016, a year and a half after I took the position of senior pastor, is I cast no vision. In fact, what ended up happening is we split. So no longer were we two locations, one church. We were two churches. And that was painful because I failed. I failed. Last year, four from Manhattan closed. And even though I hadn't been part of that leadership for two years, I could not help but take responsibility for it, knowing that it was my failure as a leader that started the process of that church closing. Whew. You know when they say failure is not an option? You know when they say that? Failure is the only option. It's in failure that we grow. I learned that through hours of therapy and thousands of dollars spent. Right? I also learned that when we grow too quickly, we do not grow deeply. Two things I learned. We grow too quickly. We lay down zero roots. None of that happens. So why? Why did I feel entitled to something like that? Why was I in a position where I felt like, you know what? I can move forward. I can move upward. I should get this job. And the reason I'm being vulnerable with y'all right now is because I don't think I'm alone in this, right? Y'all failed before? Just raise your hand so I know I'm not alone. Ah, oh, wonderful. All a bunch of failures all together. This is great. 
I should, I should have this job. And you know what, this is, this is normal. This is a normal thing. I should be able to do this. I should get this job. I should move forward. You know what happens a lot at this church? People come up to me and they say to me, I got a new job. And I say, congratulations, that's amazing. And they say to me, I'm gonna be there for about 18 months before I move up to the next thing. And it's normal, right? I don't question that in the least. I'm like, oh, that's good. Yeah, absolutely, you should move up. You, you wanna move up, right? People who are in relationships, they're like, you know, I should be married at, at this point, or I should have a significant other at this point. I should at least have moved in with somebody at this point. I, I should be in this spot because I'm really not a full person until I have this other person that I can be with. Or, or we should be moving forward in such a way that every step is intentional and we, we have a future together. We should, right? We should. How about grief? Another time I was sitting in my therapist's office. <laughs> I said, shouldn't I be done with this grief by now? I've been grieving for a long time, years and years. Shouldn't it not affect me the way it affects me now? I want to be done. I want to move away from this. That's what I said, because we should. We want to move up. We want to do better. We want to grow quickly. We don't necessarily want to grow deeply. Why? Uh, How many people uh, grew up in America? That's why. We grew up here. And there's no right or wrong to this. We're a capitalist country. And as a capitalist country, we've been taught since day one, for those of us who've grown up here, we've been taught that what we need is more. We need better. We need more square footage. We need more power. We need more influence. We need more money. And what's the narrative if we don't get those things? Well, that person might be lazy. That person might be a little unsuccessful. Right? That person actually is not living out the American dream. Right? That's, that's the kinds of things we say to one another. And so our culture, our society, everything about us tells us that we should and we need to get more. We need to grow quickly and, and, and damn the idea of growing deeply. We don't need that. Just move up. Right? That's what we do. And then the Bible comes along. What does the Bible do? The Bible critiques our mores. It critiques our shoulds over and over and over again. This passage in Psalm 23, uh, we're doing Psalm 23 for Lent. If you were here last week, Mira preached a kind of an overview of Psalm 23. It was beautiful. And we're going to continue through Psalm 23 throughout Lent. And so I want to talk about the first three verses. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, right? God makes me lie down, or uh, makes me lie down in green pastures, and God leads me beside still waters. God refreshes my soul. That sounds like abundance to me. That sounds good to me. And yeah, we say it at funerals, but, but, but even so, the, 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 the idea of moving into abundance is the idea I always take from it. But I want to break this down, because I think what this psalm is telling us is something very different, something that critiques our idea more. So the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. God leads me to lie down in green pastures. Now, if you're like me, when you think of green pastures, do you all think of Ireland? Or raise your hand if you're old enough for Little House on the Prairie. Remember the beginning when they're running in the field and then the little girl falls? That was funny, but I digress. That's what I think of when I think of green pastures. Where's a picture of a green pasture? Give me one. Yeah, we think of something like this, right? And that's, that's what we think of. And the truth of the matter is, I think we forget this constantly, constantly, is that the, the psalmist, the person writing this psalm, lives in the desert. So the green pasture does not look like that. It looks like this. This is what it looks like. That's a green pasture. This is what our psalmist is talking about right here. So if the Lord is our shepherd, we shall not want, well, it doesn't look like there's much there to want for. So what's going on? What's the psalmist talking about? What's God doing? Well, see, in the desert, when there's no grass, 
what has to happen is that the shepherd goes along and the shepherd uh, goes along to rock outcroppings, goes to the rock outcroppings and what happens is some dew or some water collect underneath these rock outcroppings and so a shepherd will take that staff and will knock over these rocks and underneath these rocks that have had a little dew or a little water, they will grow little tufts of grass, just little tufts of grass. And so when you have these little tufts of grass, there's a picture of it right there. What the shepherd then does is it brings some of the sheep over and some of the sheep go and they eat from these tufts of grass. And, and, and you don't know where the next tuft of grass is going to be. It might be under the next rock. It might be a mile away under some other rocks. But for this moment, at this time, the shepherd gives the sheep just enough. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want because my shepherd kicks over a rock and gives me just enough for this moment at this time. I'm not thinking about time. Tomorrow. I'm not thinking about what should be there or where it will be. This is it right now at this point. A little bit different than abundance. A little bit different than overflowing green pastures. And then it says the shepherd leads beside still waters. Now at this point I blew up the narrative for you so you know it's not really going to be still waters like we know it. But I like Crater Lake and so let's look at a picture of it. There it is. It's a beautiful lake. Those aren't the still waters we're talking about. In the desert, we're talking about some different looking still waters, and we can throw up a picture of those still waters in the desert. There is a picture of it. Now, that looks nice too, right? That looks pleasant. A little bit of a pop quiz. What is the number one way people die in the desert? Number one way. And you don't have to answer. It's not dehydration. It's not exhaustion. It's not freezing. Flash floods. That is the number one way people die in the desert, from flash flooding. Think about it, the desert can't, you know, no water soaks in. There, there's nothing. This is limestone, right? And so what happens is you get this, this, this thing called a water. You can go back to the water real quick. And you go back there and you get this and it looks beautiful. And let me bring my sheep to that. And there's abundance and it's still water and it's wonderful. But what the shepherd knows is that too much abundance is actually dangerous. It puts the sheep's life at risk. Because what the shepherd knows is that any second you're in a water like this one, that happens. That is what a shepherd knows. And so what a shepherd says is you may want abundance. The sheep may want more. The sheep might want to get to a place where they are satiated and satisfied and filled, but that could also kill them. That's what a shepherd knows. So what does a shepherd do? Shepherd goes back to those rocks. Because a good shepherd knows that when you go back to the rocks, uh, there's some flash flooding that happened a couple months ago, and there's still some puddles under those rocks that allowed the grass to grow. And so because there's some puddles under those rocks, the shepherd kicks over the rock again, and there's some tufts of grass, and there's a puddle. And then that sheep goes to those still waters and drinks of that puddle, and it's just enough for that moment. It's just enough because the shepherd know too much abundance. What they should have might actually kill them. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. God leads me to a tuft of grass kicked under a rock and it's just enough for right then and there. God leads me to the still waters and it's a puddle and it's just enough for right then and there. And that, that refreshes my soul. That refreshes my soul. And when I think about abundance, 
that doesn't feel like abundance. That feels scary. That feels scarce. That feels uh, like, should I trust it? This shepherd doesn't know what the shepherd's doing because, oh my gosh, the shepherd's leading me through a desert and, and, and there's great water right there. Why can't I just go to that water right there? Okay, I guess I'm going to trust that there's this puddle over here. That's, a, that, that, that's counterintuitive. It goes against everything we believe. It's almost like the shepherd is saying, it's almost like the shepherd's going, you want more? You, sh- you want what, the, the moving onward and upward? Go ahead, here it is, but am I kill you. It might be too much. You might not be able to handle it yet. Trust me. Trust me that I have your best intentions in mind, and your best intentions are to trust that this little amount right here is enough for today, and it will refresh your soul for today. That's brutal. That's brutal. We want abundance. We want more. That's what we should have anyway, right? So somebody told me last week, they said to me, you know, Jesus praised people who showed faith more than Jesus praised people who showed love. And that threw me off. So I looked it up, and sure enough, Jesus praises people who show faith way more than Jesus praises people who show love. And so Christianity, love, is at the heart of our Christian uh, relationship. But faith is the hardest part. Trust is the hardest part of our Christian relationship. And I was bothered. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, this sucks. I don't want to talk about trust. And so I did a quick, you know, quick word doc search, like in all my messages. In six years that I've been preaching, I found five times that I've preached on trust. About once a year, I guess, because I have to. Because trust is hard. Because you know what happens when we're trusting? We are giving up control. And you know what I realized my issue was? My wanting to go above and my shoulds and the senior pastor idea or whatever it was, that wasn't me worshiping our God. That was me worshiping this American capitalist idea of God. And what it was, it wasn't me giving up control. It was me holding on to that God and keeping control over that God and frankly bullying that God into giving me what I wanted. And God says, that's not me at all. You want it? It might kill you. But what I'm here to tell you is that I'm going to give you just enough for right now, for today. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? And so today, we're invited into that trust. Today, we are invited to say, you know what? The job I have right now, in this place, at this time, is exactly where God wants me to be. It's just enough, and God is restoring my soul in that. My relationship is exactly what it needs to be today. Yeah, there might be questions down the road, but the shepherd's going to kick over those rocks when the time comes. But for today, my relationship is exactly where it needs to be right now, today. How many people have kids? I think all of our kids are up at the retreat. But for those of us who do have kids, my kid is not sleeping. My kid's not doing this. My kid didn't hit this milestone. My kid's reading levels, blah, 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 whatever. Who cares? Your kid today is loved by God and a child of God, and that child is enough for today. And we can delight in that child. Grief. When will my grief be over? You know what? I don't know. But do you trust that God says, your grief is enough for today. I'm not going to give you more than you can handle today. And we'll kick over other rocks later, but today is enough. Do you trust that? Can we trust that? I invite you to trust And so while we're trusting, what do we do with that trust? What do we do when abundance might kill us? Or what do we do when our shoulds or moving forward and growing too quickly doesn't allow us to establish roots where the roots leave us in, in, or not having roots leaves us in danger? Where do we go? What do we do? All right, I'm going to give you an alliteration. Ready? Practice proactive patience. Proactive patience. That's what we do. 
Because I always say this, God loves us so much that God invites us to bring peace. And God inviting us to bring peace means that God is our shepherd and God's saying, trust that I'm giving you enough. That brings peace. So we practice proactive patience. What does proactive patience look like? Here's what my friend Carrie Connolly says about it. She says, I may not know what I want to be when I grow up, but I've come to understand I only have to think about what's next. What's my next right move? What's the next thing I want to make an offering of energy to? How can I make sure I'm including God in that picture? How does my soul long to be fed today? And what's my soul's gift back to the world in this moment? That's what it means to practice proactive patience. You know what else it means? It means that while we're practicing this patient, while we're waiting for the shepherd to kick over another rock for us, we're doing it for other people. We're kicking over rocks for others. This year has been a tough year at our church in terms of loss. A lot of people have lost family members this year. And to lose a family member is incredibly difficult and it's incredibly painful and we are not going to solve grief. That's not going to happen. But you know that we have a church group and they call themselves Woeful Whiskey? And what they do is they get together about once a month. And when they get together, they grieve together. It's not going to solve their grief forever, but for that moment, that is them kicking over rocks for one another. It's just enough to get them to the next day. Practice proactive patience. I'm still, I'm still furious about white supremacy and what happened last, last week in New Zealand. And even though we have this 24-hour news cycle, I'm not forgetting about it. And I'm overwhelmed. How do we end white supremacy? How do we end white terrorism? How do we do this? And so uh, someone in our church, they wrote, they said, hey, there, there's three things we can do to help our Muslim neighbors. And I looked at these and I'm like, these are all super easy and they're not going to solve white supremacy or white terrorism. And then I said, I'm going to call American Arab Family Support Center, who we partner with. And I said, hey, what can we do to help, help you? And they said, have dinner with us. Sit down at Iftar dinner. And I said, well, that's not going to help. And they said, no, it helps. And I realized that's proactive patience. That's kicking over a rock. That's just enough as we continue. And we don't have to solve it all at once. That God's going to lead us to the next rock, to the next place, and we'll end this one step at a time. I was, uh, last week, I was sitting outside, and I was, like, bummed about something. I don't remember. And I was like, I want our church to do this, and I want our church to do X, and why? Why aren't we doing this yet? And one of the leadership team members came and gave me a hug, and he said, today we worship because it's today. And that was just enough. That was just enough. And so here's what I'm going to invite you in today. I'm going to invite you into trust. And I never talk about it because it's incredibly hard. I'm going to invite you to believe for a second that your shoulds, that your abundance, that growing too quickly might not be what we want or need. I'm going to invite you to trust that what's happening right now today is good, and that there is just enough, and there is a shepherd leading you, kicking over rocks along the way. I'm going to invite you into that. And in doing so, we, all of us in this room, oh, by practicing that proactive patience, we bring the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. Will you pray with me? I'm going to pray a prayer from Eugene Peterson. He says this, Hoping does not mean doing nothing. It's not fatalistic resignation. It means going about our assigned tasks, confident that God will provide meaning and conclusions. It is not compelled to work away at keeping up appearances with bogus spirituality. It is the opposite of desperate and panicky manipulations of scurrying and worrying. And hoping is not dreaming. It is not spinning in an illusion or fantasy to protect us from our boredom or our pain. It means a confident, alert expectation that God will do what God said God will do.
It's imagination put in the harness of faith. It is a willingness to let God do it in God's way and in God's time. Amen.